breaking news for the listeners. Felix did not sleep well last night and is not, repeat, not feeling submissive and breedable this morning. So, okay. Uh, give some backstory here. Um, we're in the ring city where they keep the Dark Soul, Houston, and um, someone woke Philianor because there's like a hurricane today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we knew it was coming. It's never really a surprise. Uh, but by that, I mean, it's, if you if your home is destroyed by a hurricane, it is your fault. Of course. Because you can always tell when it's coming and you should just move your house. Yeah. But um anyway, like we were talking about it yesterday, and I was like, Well, I, I want I bet I can go to the gym before it gets bad. And uh, you know, sure enough, I woke up this morning and I did not go to the gym. Now th- there was a secondary factor of going to the gym that wasn't just uh fitness. Um th- there was a theory agreed to by many at the time that if i went to a high-end gym in equinox and we were you know i was kind of trapped there by a hurricane uh it would just but because of the time of day i would go around 10 a.m the only other people there would be you know 32 year old milfs yeah and the thinking was was that that like we're just trapped there and I have to repopulate the earth with them mm-hmm. because the, everyone else is dead in Houston. Uh, but I woke up this morning and I didn't feel like doing that. <laughs> so I just went to the hotel gym and did pull-ups. Were there, were there, were there were no MILFs there? There was no one there. There was no one there? Yeah. Okay. By the way, there, there is, this is like, I don't know, like the third or fourth largest city in America. It is massive. Houston yeah. is, is mega city one. It's, it's I went insane. out this morning to just like to have a little, little constitutional walk around see what's up this is like you know midtown houston maybe, maybe i don't know enough about the neighborhood but i felt like the fucking omega man there was <laughs> yeah. no one on the street and you know on our tour here in texas uh felix has been auditioning for the role of don johnson's character in a boy and his dog <laughs> he wants to he wants to repopulate the post-apocalyptic landscape with just sort of like uh, uh, sort of like a very very tanned southern women yeah yeah just w- women whose faces look evil yeah. Because of like the, they got filler when they didn't need it, you know. And now they just keep getting it. It's okay, you know. I w- we were in Dallas, and I went to a pretty evil neighborhood in Dallas, uh, Highland Park. But I have never felt the level of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's the hurricane. Um, I've never felt the level of evil swag that Houston has. Well, I mean, we pulled off the highway. First of all. We get, we're, of course, you know, highway right downtown, literally right next to everything. First thing we see downtown is that there is a Ferris wheel and one of those uh, rides where you just go up and then come back down right next to the highway. It, yeah, it was a, a Ferris wheel and one of the, yeah, like the, the rides where you go up and down and it would just like pop up and there'd just be like 30 kids strapped <laughs> to this waving thing, at you. waving at the busiest section of freeway in the United States. Yeah. And yeah. then you come off the highway and we're down at Midtown. And our neighbors are literally the headquarters of Chevron and Aramco. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and I, I think we have to paint the picture of like what, how the buildings seem because it's like, you know, we live in New York and other major cities, but like something about the buildings in Houston is just, they're built in order to terrify you. Yeah. yeah. It's like a new, like even the parking garages look evil and hostile to humanity. And like there, there, there's, there's no zoning here. So like right as we go off the freeway, right before we get to the evil building district, 
<laughs> there's um, a house the architecture style I could only describe as stupid. <laughs> this is a traditionally stupid house. You know, it's like a oh oh uh, this is a Victorian uh, two door uh, uh, Real Housewives <laughs> style house that I built in 2017. It was one of those houses that looked like if you like kick one of the fence posts on the garden, the entire thing would come down. But everything. Everything in downtown is built. It's Anne Orlando. The two styles of architecture here are Anne Orlando and Undead Settlement because they don't. Everything that isn't like the headquarters for like the Contras or or the Bilderberg Group is is like a basketball court that's never had any people come on it. People just like glitch. Just wander in and out of traffic. It's interesting because we were in Dallas, which also gets uh, accused of being a very evil city, and I certainly it understand is. that. But the buildings, first of all, there's you know they've actually got some older stuff, and they got some pretty interesting brutalism in, in Dallas. But even their their yeah their newest their newer skyscrapers were all built in the '80s by people who were just absolutely zooted on coke. And they have a fun Coke whimsy to them. Like, yeah. hey, let's yeah. make this into a giant triangle. <laughs> yeah. Let's make this one look like a Qbert level. <laughs> We're having fun. Let's put a hole in the middle of this building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But every skyscraper in Houston is like, it's it was impressive. designed by oil. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like they just, they, they consulted a simmering, like deep pocket of like crude <laughs> that just vibrated like the cube in Prince of Darkness. <laughs> and then it gave, it just like psychically communicated the plans to them. And then they just built them. Yeah. Dallas is the city that Coke built, but Houston was built by people who like for religious reasons can't even drink soda, <laughs> but like, but, but are like are allowed to have sex slaves. <laughs> like that exact intersection of religion. Yeah. Yeah. I'm walking around. I did see a few guys walking around, you know, in their in their uh, business casual outfits. And it looked like they were having a great time. And see, downtown Houston anyway seems like a fun time if you've ever tried to blow up Michael Clayton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, yeah, um, we've been having a having a blast here on our, our trip through Texas. You know, just uh, just meeting and greeting all the all our, all our prized hogs and bringing yep. them to fair. Yep. Slapping yeah. a big blue ribbon on all of them here <laughs> down in Texas. Uh, it's great though. Uh, we're doing a show tomorrow night in Houston. But fellas, it's Monday, March twenty first. Let's get into let's get into the swing of things. Yes. And I suppose that means we have to talk about Ukraine again. Oh boy. And you know they're still at it over there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's uh it's you know like uh, thousands of people are dead. You know, the war continues to grind on. Uh, like I I don't know what the situation is in terms of like like uh, it, it seems bad. It seems terrible. Yeah. But uh but let's talk about like uh you know just reactions to it here in this country. And once again, folks, the left is being taken into account. We're, yeah. Uh, the left is being brought to heel. Finally. If there's anyone who's most responsible for the current situation, it definitely is the left. When well, I look at when I look at the left in this country, I think, you know, I'm like basically powerful enough, right? Yeah. Like yeah. basically powerful enough. But we need someone who loves articles to take them on. Who well, is who's the who is the biggest article head that can tell them what's for? Well, well here's the one that's burning up uh burning up burning up my timeline today. It's uh Eric Levitt's writing in New York magazine, uh headline the left has half-baked answers on Ukraine. 
Oh, I'd, I'd no. like some fully baked ones, I want please. The, I want to be fully baked, I'd like please. them to be crisp and golden brown. How about, you know what? Honestly, I know it takes longer, but it's worth it. Give me some twice baked ideas. <laughs> yeah, you, they, there needs to be like fully cooked ideas. Like just send them weapons with no preconditions or anything yeah. for eight years and just see what happens. Fully baked ideas like like what our former Secretary of State explicitly said, turn it into Afghanistan. Yeah. That's the fully baked idea, if I've ever heard one. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, like the, the premise of this article is that there are fully baked ideas to be had here. But Delicious. I mean, I think that's, I mean, it's 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 starting off. I mean, like, a no cap gang continues to take massive losses <laughs> in, in, in Q Q one twenty twenty two. Do you realize that two countries who were both doing no cap November have never gone to war with each other? <laughs> I mean, like, well, this, this is the thing here. I mean, this is why this is why articles exist here is that nobody, right, left, or center, has any good or <laughs> nope. fully baked ideas when it comes to I don't know how to deal with uh, Russia trying to create their own empire or it, it basically there is no good answer to a nuclear a nuclear armed state. Yeah, it's deciding that like okay, we're just going to go to war with a country that doesn't have bombs. Yeah, no, it, it's so uh, it's. I mean, this there was no what, answer for America doing that. No. Right? No, no one else in the world could stop us doing Iraq or this Afghanistan. Is what, this is what the, the collapse of the, of the precious and beloved uh, uh, international order looks like. And wishing it w- went the other way doesn't change it. That's not fully baked either. That's, well, just, that's just whining. Well, yeah, I mean, right now is the, it, it is the greatest time to just say the most decontextualized things possible. Uh, I've seen people go... Um, I'm, you know, I'm against American intervention and and the war, obviously. But like, doesn't Ukraine have agency to join NATO? It, like, just the most, just did like like it's a apartment building co-op. But um, the, the this specific type of article, which you know, the left has no power in America. Why would you write this article? Because your point of view has won. It's the only point yep. of view that we've ever fucking seen. This article completely because of that, it cannot talk about the past at all. So anyone, anyone even tangentially associated with DSA talking about maybe saying that, like, maybe the strategy of escalate of escalation and like expanding NATO past 1991, maybe we're looking at its failures right now. Right. That is just that, that's Holocaust denial. Basically, yeah. you can't say that you can't talk about the past because if you're writing one of these articles, we are seeing the fruition of your worldview. Was there a time? Was there a time in the Obama administration when, like, the DSA International Committee w- was in charge of foreign policy? Did Trump give some? Did Trump give like a Twitter Stalinist an important post at State? No, this has been running the show the entire fucking time. Yeah, and you know, like, I, I could, I, I, I sort of like, I, I understand the the need for these kind of articles in a 2020 context when people like could credibly, or at least in a fantastical sense, trick themselves into believing. That like the Bernie Sanders left, the dirtbag left, the bros, the DSA, whatever you want to call it, uh, could exercise some influence over right. the course of events. And so they had American to have politics. a fully baked foreign policy. Yeah, so, but that, that certainly isn't the case now. And, you know, like the, the DSA International Committee is not fucking is not, it's not bending the ear of the Biden administration in any way. But, you know, when you like, look, when you are holding out the leftmost position at sort of credentialed media institutions, you got to 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 earn your keep somehow. Yeah. And you have to show like, them that you're normal. Yeah. yeah because there's be normal. No, as we said, there's no good answers and none of them want to write like the full hog version of this, which is, yeah, some fantasy about uh, arming uh, Ukraine and fighting to the last Ukrainian and and all that like brinksmanship that is of course icky and 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 as a good liberal leftist you wouldn't want to do uh 
so what can you write? And the only answer is I can show everybody how serious I am by chastising these, these uh, unserious people who have no power and, more, more importantly than anything, uh, are not under any kind of institutional authority, don't answer to anybody, have, uh, are not part of any like, large-scale structures of power, which means that there is nothing you can tell them that even if they agreed with you, they could do about it. Yeah, and you know, here, here, here's a fully baked idea, and this was one of the most attractive prospects of Bernie 2020, was the idea that at least a lot of the people on, on his side in foreign policy who would have had top jobs would have understood that the time of America as the sole superpower is coming to an end and right. would, negotiated, would have negotiated our exit in a way that would have avoided calamities. Because guess what? It's going to fucking happen one way or the other. It's already happening. Yes. And now we're the people in charge, both parties, the, the blob, are the serious people who take or who bake things all the way through are all completely uh, enraptured with this fantasy that we have the ability to assert control over these situations. Well, I mean, it's just like it's a it's another round of like uh, you, you got to you got to you got to. Gotta gotta do gotta purge the cranks and the conspiracy theorists and the nuts. You know you have to like uh, define yourself in opposition to these people. Even though I don't know how anyone can look at the events of the last twenty or thirty years and just categorically dismiss all nuts, cranks, and whack jobs. Yeah, they're mostly no, right. Yeah. They've, been way, they've been way righter. Than <laughs> they've been way they've been way more authority. like if you if you like like play out their like uh like theories or beliefs, no matter how outlandish, over like a 30, 40 year time period. If, compare that to the the smart, sensible, decent crowd of people yeah. who and and their fully baked opinions, and see which fucking uh which adds up right. better. Yeah. Weigh those out on the scales. So uh, let's dive into what Eric has to write here. Um, it begins, he writes, As Russian missiles rain down on Ukrainian cities, the American left has come under a more figurative kind of fire. In recent weeks, a wide variety of publications and politicians have taken U.S. leftists to task for their collective response to the crisis in Ukraine. Collective response. Which, which has been derided as blinkered, pro-Putin, and worse things besides. These critiques have prompted rhetorical reprisals from socialists who contend that their faction's analysis of the war has been unerringly sound, both morally and analytically. More ambivalent fellow travelers, meanwhile, have vacillated in the crossfire. And there's like a billion hyperlinks to all this shit. That, like, I'm not sussing Who out. Who cares? Right yeah. Like, um, another article head getting high off his oh own supply. Yeah. yeah art article heads. I'm not addicted. Article heads. Oh, I need eight more articles while I'm writing my articles just so I can feel a buzz. The debate over the American left's position on Ukraine is confounded by disagreements over what constitutes the American left and its position on Ukraine. The impetus for most for the most discourse on this on this subject were statements published by the Democratic Socialists of America's International Committee. Yet that committee does not represent the views of all DSA members, let alone Americans who identify with the left. And the DSA IIC's policy demands, the lifting of sanctions against Russia, the denial of military aid to Ukraine, and America's immediate withdrawal from NATO directly contradict the positions held by Americans, America's most prominent socialist politicians. He's referring to, you know, like Bernie Sanders and AOC. If conservatives have elided this complexity to declare the entire U.S. left weak on Russian aggression, some socialists have done the same for contrary Wait purposes. No, they can't. I'm sorry. That, that is the one, like, I guess the argument here that is not like pie in the sky bullshit is like, well, you, how is it going to look to the other people? What are the conservatives going to say? Which, of course, is always dumb, but is extra dumb here since the most vocal and most unapologetic pro-Russian people are fucking members of Congress for the Republican Party. Yeah. And I, I mean, Cawthorne like, called Zelensky a thug. Yeah. He's now being featured in commercials on Russian TV. There are tens of thousands of bodies just from the last decade 
from Democrats who wanted to look serious, to yeah. make it look like they had fully baked ideas. We, we, we can just go back last year to Brandon, yes. when after uh, taking a bunch of shit for the Afghanistan withdrawal and not predicting the MI6 inside job, just kidding, am I? Uh, uh, um, you know, to show he's serious and has fully baked ideas about security, he killed at least 13 civilians yep. in, a, in a drone attack in Afghanistan. Uh, there was also during the Biden presidency, one of the fucking dozens, if not more, annual AFRICOM operations that took out 60 people in Somalia who all turned out to be fucking civilians. These are all trying to show that you're serious, that you care, that you uh, are very conscious of how things look to the other side. Do you think that they, 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 they stood back and said, well, you know, I don't like Brandon, but he's serious about America's security? No, instead, instead, Bobert and MGT were just hooting and hollering at the State of the Union at the man. They didn't give him any credit for killing all those foreigners. Um, Eric Levitz, he goes on to discuss Elizabeth Brunig's article in The Atlantic, yet another article that we're talking about here. I mean, Yo, dog, but, I heard you like articles. Yeah. <laughs> God um, damn, I'm dude. Skip, I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit. And, you know, Brunig was defending um, at, at least the, uh, like, as, as Levitz describes it, the Bernie Sanders position of what he thinks is like a, like a normal humane response, which is that we should do everything possible for, to, for to help Ukraine, but, or help Ukraine, sorry, uh, to help them without triggering a Russian military response. But, you know, I mean, like, it, it's, it's a question of where you draw the line. Or yeah. like, you know, like, it, it's, and, you know, it's difficult. And again, I, I'm not baking here. I'm not a baker. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I, don't, I don't got buns in the oven here. But, you know, like, every, everyone's trying to figure it out as best they can. But, okay, I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit. I mean, like, how do you... How do you look at this and how do you look, you know, at the last eight years and not conclude like anything I propose is meaningless now? Yeah. The bad yeah. things already happened, which yeah. is not just your provocation. NATO's provocation was answered as so many people actually fucking wanted with tons of fucking innocent people caught in the crossfire fighting their war for them. Uh, we already did the near decade of unaccountable weapon shipments and we will... I mean, really, Ukrainians will live with the consequences of that for decades to come. It's already happened. The, the, all the bad things have already been done, and there is nothing you can do. Well, the one thing you can do is if you're a journalist looking to uh, advance in your career as, uh, as, with the left brand is show the people who might hire you that you're a serious person who is not going to be a... Uh, a in, during crises like this, is not going to be a liability, and so you got to write this article. Everybody's got to write this fucking article. It's literally like an audition tape. I don't see how you can have a clear understanding of the world, know know what time it is, sort of see yourself as a realistic person, brand yourself as this acceptable left liberal, and suggest anything but free passage and citizenship for anyone from any of these countries that you know what America does to them, which is most countries. That's the only thing that should be on the table. But instead, you're showing uh, maybe 9,000 people who read this article how normal you are. Uh, Levitz continues. Within the small world of self-identified American leftists, however, the, D the DSA's substantive positions are far from marginal. Indeed, a large contingent of prominent left-wing writers, activists, and organizations have argued in recent days for ending indiscriminate U.S. sanctions against Russia, withholding military aid from Ukraine, and immediately dismantling NATO. 
This contingent's perspective deserves to be taken seriously. For one thing, its analysis spotlights many inconvenient truths that few other American political factions wish to acknowledge. As importantly, however, the weakness of some of its arguments reflect genuine pathologies within the U.S. left's foreign policy thinking. Above all, an ideological rigidity that leaves American socialists ill-equipped to interpret this emerging multipolar world order (laughs) and therefore to change it. Many on the American left were ideologically unprepared for Putin's invasion. As 190,000 Russian troops massed on the Ukrainian border in January and February, conventional wisdom among U.S. leftists held that no war was in the offing. They were hardly alone in that assessment. The Ukrainian government had itself argued that Western officials were overhyping the threat it faced. Some mainstream criminologists believed the same. They noted that Russia's state media was not preparing its populace for a major war and that a full-scale invasion of Ukraine made little strategic sense. Vladimir Putin might be ruthless, the reasoning went, but he was not reckless. Many leftists echoed these premises, but their widespread, if hardly universal, failure to anticipate Putin's intentions was not rooted in such dispassionate analysis alone. (laughs) The vehemence with which some socialists automatically dismissed the U.S. government's narrative, which is to say it's over-the-top prediction that Putin was intent on marching to Kiev and toppling the Ukrainian government, betrayed ideological discomfort with that possibility. Okay, so... Where do you want to go with this one? Because, like, you know, let's right. Like, I didn't expect Putin to go full full war in Ukraine, and you know, like, I'll, I'll cop to that. But I mean, like, whatever. I don't have a fucking crystal ball here. I mean, I, I don't know what what Levitz thought was going to happen. But well, usually, well, as usually they're doing the thing, the same thing with Iraq. Only I guess flipped in this one where it's like, well, yeah, you were right, you were wrong for the right, or you were right, but for the wrong reasons. And now it was you were wrong, and everyone was basically wrong, but you were extra wrong because you didn't have the rigorous analysis behind your wrongness. I'm sorry, if everybody got the wrong conclusion, if everybody got the wrong answer, uh, what the fuck difference does it make? Especially since you're on the outside. What else do you have to go for by ideology? Nobody is going, nobody who is not in government and not has doesn't have access to like actual like intelligence, whatever the fuck that is, is going off of anything other than their preconceived priors and, uh, you know, the mood, the vibe. Because nobody fucking knows. And, you know, as long as you're talking about uh, priors here, I mean, like, uh, uh, for Eric here, if I can, if I can cop to my own reasoning, uh, the vehemence with which I dismissed the U.S. government narrative was simply based on the last three-plus decades of being alive <laughs> and observant. Yeah. Of just try- paying attention as best one can to how current events play out and what the U.S. government says about them. Yeah. I have a personal policy that I've followed for a long time of uh, I do not make predictions. This bookie does not take bets in Eastern Europe. And that, you know, kept me from too many bad screenshots of me predicting otherwise. But uh, is there going to be a tongue wagging at Zelensky who is basically saying the exact same fucking thing? Yeah, but he wasn't doing it because of ideological rigidity. Right. In the realm of foreign affairs, America's left-wing activists and intellectuals are at our most cogent and self-confident when holding the U.S. government to account for for offenses against the peace. And before Putin's invasion, it wasn't that hard to see the Russia-Ukraine crisis as a byproduct of America's overweening imperial ambition if you cock your head to the left. As socialists have emphasized in recent weeks, The U.S. backed NATO's expansion in the 1990s and 2000s in defiance of both its promises to Russian authorities and the council of its own national security elite. Nevertheless, the U.S. carried on projecting power eastward, eventually extending an offer of NATO membership to Ukraine itself. This drew objections from the socialist left, but also from the likes of Henry Kissinger, who warned that trying to turn Ukraine into an outpost of the West would risk its very survival, since to Russia, Ukraine can never be just a foreign country. 
Sounds like they were right. <laughs> Sounds like they were fucking right. Like, what is the counterpoint to this? What other fucking policy was put in place in America? America proceeded to seek influence over Ukraine's domestic policy politics, using soft power to channel Ukrainians' domestic discontents over corruption and economic stagnation towards a movement for Western integration. Following 2014's Maidan uprising, the U.S. lent its backing to a Ukrainian government that undermined the language, the language rights of Russian speakers and other minority ethnicities. The U.S. did all of this knowing that, one, there were profound divisions within Ukrainian society over the question, uh, questions of language policy and whether to align with Russia or Europe. Two, that Russia had repeatedly signaled that it considered a Western-aligned Ukraine intolerable. And three, that NATO wasn't actually prepared to fight in defense of Ukraine's sovereignty should it come under Russian attack. I mean, I don't know, like, what argument is Eric yeah. advancing here? Right. I, and I mean, like, the question of whether Ukraine aligns with Europe or Russia, the language, that, that is all obviously completely their fucking business. I mean, now it seems like things are quite settled thanks to the most genius invasion of all time. But the moment you introduce American institutions, the moment that you put every fucking tentacle of the American empire in place, the moment that you pump money in from world institutions and it goes into companies who kind of just create positions just for the sons and daughters of American politicians to siphon out, you taint those questions. You taint the natural political processes of the nation. I guess in some, the left in the left's account, U.S. foreign policy placed the advancement of Western influence above the welfare of ordinary Ukrainians, whose security and domestic stability would have been maximized by an embrace of neutrality between the great powers to its east and west. This remains a worthwhile critique of Americans, America's policies towards Ukraine. Indeed, Putin's war of aggression only underscores America's recklessness in declaring that Ukraine would one day join a military alliance hostile to Russia, only to refuse for more than a decade to actually grant Ukraine that alliance's protections. So, I mean, like, is Eric saying that, that we should have let Ukraine join NATO or we shouldn't have offered it to them in the first place? I think he's place? saying that all this stuff was right, but then once the war starts, it becomes irrelevant. Okay. And, you're, and you're, doing, you're doing war crimes by bringing it up. Right. Once, once the bad thing that you said will happen as a result of this happens, it shows how wrong you are. And you have to, you have to, you have to shut up and wave the blue and yellow flag. Um, I don't know how this is different than any other, uh, any other emergent crisis caused uh, by... American imperial overreach uh, that that we then are told like I don't know how this what's the, how this is not just more of the same this how this is differentiable uh, in any way from fucking uh, the Atlantic monthly uh, line on it I just w just because he's willing to like granted the, everything they said was right before he just says but you still have to shut up and do and, and follow this fucking line he goes here um, uh, yet even before Russia's invasion uh, the left's dominant narrative about the crisis in Ukraine had its awkward aspects. It is perfectly natural for foreign policy realists like Kissinger to disdain heedless affronts to Russia's sphere of influence or to insist that Ukraine must give Putin's kleptocratic regime veto power over its foreign policy. But socialists do not generally recognize the legitimacy of imperial orbits, nor counsel acquiescence to the relations of domination for the sake of conflict. Do they avoidance. acknowledge reality? Yeah. Do they acknowledge that Russia is a country with nukes and, the, and, an, uh, an, and a perceived like national interest that it's going to pursue you're going to pretend that's not real what, just, what is the good guy position to fight to the last ukrainian I, yeah i mean or just that like not, not like uh, not the good guy position is not to say ukrainian ukrainians must fight to the last the last man against russia but you you can think that you don't say it but then you scold the people who are uh, saying otherwise yeah 
Or saying that, like, saying maybe don't dump more weapons into this fucking thing. Meanwhile, the notion that Russia's opposition to NATO expansion was rooted in legitimate security interests as a segment of leftists routinely avow is hard to credit. Surely a nation's only legitimate security interests are defensive ones, and Russia's nuclear arsenal was always sufficient to deter the threat of an invasion. As we are now seeing, that arsenal is menacing enough to stop Western leaders from entertaining so much as a no-fly zone for Ukraine, never mind an offensive invasion of Russian territory. But I, what difference does it make if I think it's legitimate or not? Yeah. Who gives a shit that the legitimacy is uh, is determined by the power that the state has to affirm its legitimacy? That's what makes it legitimate is that if you don't agree, they will do something about it. it there is no legitimacy that exists outside of power projection and force projection. You're, you're supposed to live in a fantasy land and to assert the, the, uh, this, this hypothetical notion of legitimacy on a foreign country. And again, that is the signal difference is because you're talking about uh you're talking about values versus like an analysis of 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 you know just reality and 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 they're always pointing out like well you have these values when you're talking about america but all of a sudden when you talk about these other countries you're you're embracing realism and you're not using you're not using languages of morals and all that well the reason people talk about their own country morally is because they're trying to effect a political change yeah. they're trying to make a pitch for a politics that other people can sign on to and do something about that project is totally pointless when referring to other countries and doing so insisting on larding on moralistic language only makes it harder to actually understand and discuss what the fuck is going on to avoid giving Russia the dreaded legitimacy rune that they can take <laughs> to the tower and boost their stats by 20% the left is giving them you know i think this invasion is completely criminal and awful and it's undeniable that innocent people are dying as a direct result of russia's actions that if your concern is azov which i think is a very real concern a not just azov but other similar groups uh that this is the best thing you could have done for their recruiting that said if they if mexico had joined a union of states backed by nuclear power with a bunch of other Latin American states, a, a defense pact that we were specifically excluded from as, as Americans, uh, you would be, you, they would write this article about people on the left who are against invading Mexico. <laughs> for just I for mean, reality's sake. They're, I mean, they're writing articles in Bloomberg right now that um, AMLO's decision to just buy back one of Shell's refineries and have the Mexican state refine their own oil and gas is, is economic imperialism. <laughs> Yeah. So what the fuck do you think we would do if they joined a defensive alliance yeah. with like China and or Russia? Yeah. yeah, we don't even have to go into hypotheticals because we are doing things just as bad every fucking day that we will never see these people talk about. Every fucking day. And you jump right in headlong. You don't care. skip ahead a little bit to the, the next subhead of Eric's article. It says, when reality turned against left-wing orthodoxy, some leftists turned against reality. 
Once Putin validated the Western media's predictions, the American left's ideological orthodoxies ceased to provide it with, a, with unambiguous policy guidance. Socialists generally support the self-determination struggles of nations victimized by imperial aggression. They are also typically wary of flooding war zones with American munitions. DSA supporters of the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement against Israel affirm the legitimacy of economic sanctions as a means of liberating people from military domination. Yet such leftists also know that sanctions are a form of collective economic punishment against civilians and routinely decry their use. The American left disdains NATO for its destructive humanitarian inventions, yet it also prizes solidarity with socialists in less fortunate corners of the globe. And many Eastern European leftists consider NATO a vital bulwark against their republic's subjugation to a reactionary autocracy, a conviction that became difficult to dismiss once Putin launched a war of imperial conquest. Instead of grappling with these complexities, however, many leftists simply pretended that they do not exist. Okay, so like now that now that Eric has acknowledged that they do exist, I'm waiting for him to just say like what, what's what yeah. what to do? What what what, what do you, what do you that, want? What, what do you want people to say? Imply? What does that like, imply? Well, what's what's the, what's the correct course of action? And I think the correct course of action is basically one that the U.S. government has under already undertaken. Undertaken. Well, I mean, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how many more fucking javelins they throw in there. What that leads to. On Wednesday, the, uh, uh, the DSAIC voiced, voiced its opposition to U.S. military aid to Ukraine, arguing that the provision of weapons to the Ukrainian government would escalate the conflict and prolong the war. Instead, of the, instead the committee argued that the progressive anti-war voices should pick, push for a di- diplomatic resolution to the crisis. This basic line is shared by many progressive commentators and organizations. In an otherwise thoughtful piece, the left-wing reporter Ross Barkan argues that liberals have fallen prey to crackpot realism, meaning a maniacal moral fervor for escalating a deadly conflict, on the grounds that they support sending arms to Ukraine. Rather than aiding Ukraine's self-defense, Barkin implores progressives to demand peace, which can only come with an agreement that both Ukraine and Russia can live with, a prospect that Western talking heads do not want to accept. And Jacobin Bronco Marcetic offers, offers a tellingly elliptical version of the same argument. Instead of making a forthright case against providing military aid to a democratic government suffering an imperial invasion, Marcetic chooses to invade against the purely hypothetical prospect of arming a future Ukrainian insurgency against a Russian-imposed puppet government in Kiev. This maneuver shifts the terrain of debate into the left's comfort zone. Rather than confronting the tensions between socialist historic commitment to national, national struggles against imperial aggression and its wariness of flooding war zones with what weaponry. What left are they talking about? Like, is he talking about like the, the Spanish Civil War? When you actually had like an yeah. international coalition of like communist and like uh, popular front governments that were coordinating actions and, and, and like sending troops as opposed to now when you have posters, it's people just it's just posters. That's all we have here. What is our what is their historical obligation to post? And, and you know, like, I mean, like when he said, like uh, imperial aggression against the democratic state and look like any country whose, you know, its borders are transgressed upon by like a foreign military and they're under like invasion and occupation. I think has the like you know moral and political right to resist it by any means well, I mean, necessary. Th- again, they're going to do it. They're going to do it one way or the other. Because they like, don't, if they don't want to get invaded, they will resist it if they can. But like to to call like this is like you know like this is an imperial autocracy invading a democratic country. I mean like this is getting harder for Levitz's side in the context of Ukraine banning like I don't know pro-Russian political parties, several of whom hold like forty-four seats in parliament or something like that. I yeah. Mean, when all you have is a hammer, though, too. I mean, the, the only policy suggestion here is, again, the same thing we have done for nearly a fucking decade, which is weapon, weapon shipments. I don't think they have a problem with not having quite enough guns. I don't think that's fully the problem here. 
by Collins. The problem is that somebody somewhere is suggesting powerlessly, maybe don't give them guns. But yeah, and like, and again, like, I I don't understand here because like the the weapons are going to continue to flow. They're going to keep getting military aid from the United States. Yeah. Um, but he says, by Collins and Mark Zedek's case against turning Ukraine into another Afghanistan starts shading into an argument against providing arms to a sovereign government under siege, insisting that peace cannot be achieved through a military solution, but only through a mutually acceptable negotiated settlement that guarantees Ukraine's territorial integrity and gives Moscow a road back from what at this point is looking like a disastrous miscalculation while addressing Russia's longstanding security concerns. What all these analyses willfully ignore is that the clear relationship between Ukraine's military strength and the plausibility of such a settlement. Three weeks ago, Russia had no interest in a diplomatic solution that guaranteed Ukraine's territorial integrity. It aimed to dissolve the Ukrainian military and install a puppet regime. It was the Ukrainian army's unanticipated success in fending off a much larger Russian force that led the Kremlin to abandon those demands and entertain settling for Ukraine's neutrality. Nevertheless, Russia is still insisting on large territorial concessions, and its refusal to agree to a ceasefire calls the sincerity of its diplomatic posture into question. Should the fragile military stalemate between Ukraine and Russia break down decisively for the latter, there is good reason to believe that a mutually agreeable settlement will become impossible. I remember, like, I, I saw a little bit of the back and forth between Bronco and Eric on this piece. And the question uh, Bronco uh, asks of Eric is that, like, in the context of the Iraq war, would you, reg- would you regard America as, like, a reactionary imperial auto- autocracy um, invading a sovereign nation? And yeah. if that's the case, would you have been in favor of China and Russia selling weapons, planes, and, you know, anti-aircraft batteries to Iraq? Right. Because, you know, it would strengthen their hand into, like, you know, uh, uh, reaching a diplomatic, peaceful solution with the United States, which had, you know, invaded it in a war of conquest. Right. Well, the thing is... is Eric's answer, by the way, was yes, that would have been good. Damn. Okay. So, all right. So I mean, like, it seems like I agree more I, with Eric than I, I have a feeling, uh, though, that if if uh, if somebody in his uh, position uh, looking to have a future in media uh, wouldn't, uh, no matter how consistent it would have been and how fully baked it would have been, would have put that one out there for for uh, uh, yeah. consumption. I find it hard to believe that like that anyone in Eric's position would have advanced the case that China should have sold arms <laughs> yeah. to Saddam Hussein yeah. to fight American imperial conquest yeah. and invasion. Would Eric argue that we should have zero zero sanctions, zero anything on Iran? Because, I mean, it's obvious the real reason that we, you know, have any any real distance and animosity towards Iran is how they humiliated us in Lebanon, in their own country, uh, their proxies making an asshole out of William Buckley, not the writer, but the CIA station <laughs> chief. Um but, I mean, is that, you know, a reactionary force occupying Lebanon, 400 Marines dead? Would he have supported that? Would he support just rolling back any sanctions we have against Hezbollah and Iran? And, of course, right now, I mean, you don't even have to get historical or hypothetical. We have the Yemeni war telling you that this ironclad uh, commitment to countries resisting reactionary invasion that, that means nothing. Yeah. Because, like, we're literally helping them do it. and. I mean, Eric, if you want to be serious and fully baked, write a fucking article not a, not about how we need to uh, stop uh, helping the Saudis. Boring. That's that's absolute bare minimum. Not not even sufficient given our position. You know, the same position that makes it necessary for us to help the Ukrainians. Not only do we need to stop helping the Saudis, we need to switch sides to the Houthis. Yeah, 
Yeah, we need to and not only that. We need to send the Iranians. Them, we need to. Yeah, we need to send them. Uh, well, not F 35s We're trying to help them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we need to send them. You know, like all the drones we got, all the goodies. We need to help them just level Riyadh to in order to uh, defend themselves. Yeah, maybe that's why our frigates keep crashing into Iranian shores. We're trying to give them shipments. It's <laughs> a bunch of Eric Levitts in the military. I mean, yeah, like this. This goes back to uh, you know, like a, a, a just give Iran nuclear weapons. Yeah, that, that's my position on this. And like, by the way, as long, mean, as, like, as, long as we're talking about it, um, could there be a better time than now to just switch sides to the Venezuelans and the Iranians? Because I mean, like uh, the, the Saudis getting, will not even pick the up hats. the phone. Mm-hmm. Well, they will not even pick up the phone to we us. We're getting the high hat. And we're, and we're still giving them Patriot missiles. The, oh the cats so in the cradle touched. with the silver spoon. <laughs> 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 uh, in 2045, we're going to put a man on the moon. <laughs> Saudi moon project 2045. Um yeah, no, we're we're, we're, we're getting, getting absolutely severe owned. High we're getting just sunned every day by these motherfuckers. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, to, to roll back a little bit. Yeah, again, to bring it to a more recent example. I mean, I would have to say that Gulf monarchies versus the Syrian government, which is the more reactionary force, yeah. would Eric, which is more of an imperialist autocracy, right? Would Eric support sending Marines to Damascus to fight on the side of the Syrian army? Yeah. You know, I just I doubt these things. Uh, Eric continues. My point here is not to assert that arguments against arming Ukraine should be beyond the pale. Thanks for that. Oh, thank you very hey, much. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Uh, he's putting he's putting his discourse gun I in mean, the back uh, of his yeah. holster. No, it just because like like you know like I I'm not trying to be too hard on Eric because he clearly believes that I am in the pale and not beyond it. Because you know I mean if he had said if he had said if he had said positions uh you know so certain positions that I hold that we voice on the show are beyond the pale. Then I would be real sore. Oh, my God. I would be real sore. Once you're out of the pale, you can't get back in. (laughs) That's what's tough. Such policy entails real harms. These weapons will not disappear on the day peace is declared. Many will find their way onto black markets and from there to places where they kill and maim innocents. Further, if one deems Russian military victory a foregone conclusion, then there is a case that minimizing needless death requires abetting Ukraine's swift defeat. That is a grim argument and one that seems much less credible now than it did two weeks ago. But it isn't ludicrous. What is ludicrous, however, is to speak as though there is a button marked mutually agreeable diplomatic settlement that Joe Biden could press today if only he weren't mashing the more more guns button instead. The left's argument against America's sanctions policy has been more worthwhile. The risk of waging near total economic war on a nuclear superpower are vast and unprecedented. And the immediate impact of U.S. sanctions is to immiserate many Russians who are powerless to influence their autocratic government, while also exacerbating hunger crises in the global south. Given the routine failure of sanctions to deter aggression, it is hard to say with confidence that the benefits of economic warfare will outweigh its costs. Yet the socialist left is the one of the only factions in the U.S. politics that's interested in subjecting our sanctions policy to cost-benefit analysis. Nevertheless, it is doubtlessly the case that sanctions make it harder for Putin to finance his war machine. And the DSAIC has not made much of an effort to explain why this is an unworthy goal. Nor has it tried to reconcile its moralistic objections to sanctions against Russia with its support for BDS. In theory, there are plenty of ways of rationalizing these stances. One could believe that broad-based sanctions are more likely to work in Israel since the Israeli government is democratically accountable to much of its population, or that economic warfare against Russia carries a nuclear risk that economic warfare against Israel would not. Well, I mean, Israel's got nukes, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. D- democratic accountability, that is a funny way to describe the Israeli government. <laughs> Yeah, accountable to whom? Uh, <laughs> I guarantee you. I guarantee you, if America really put 
Israel under an economic blockade, some of their nukes would wind up in, let's just say, certain hands that are ready to use them <laughs> yeah. in a major American city. Yeah, some, some characters you may have missed from the 90s and even 2010s. Uh, so, uh, that last argument strikes me as dubious. It is hard for me to believe that if the United States decided to kick Israel out of the dollar-based financial system until it withdrew all settlers from the West Bank, the American left would mobilize in opposition on the grounds that sanctions severely impact working-class people. Regardless, failure to acknowledge and explain apparent contradiction invites the suspicion that the DSA's foreign policy stances derive less from considered principles than ideological reflex. The American left contains multitudes. Some of its factions have navigated the present crisis with humility and curiosity. No hyperlinks involved. <laughs> no hyperlinks. Great given in that, in that no statement. No treats? No, yeah. no article treaties? Yeah. 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 Boys yeah. and girls? What the fuck? Article plug closed up. <laughs> and the left's more dogmatic members have also made some valuable contributions to the discourse on Russia-Ukraine. Socialist polemics remain a better guide than mainstream reports to many aspects of the conflict. On the questions of refugee resettlement and debt forgiveness, meanwhile, the left solidarity with Ukraine is more robust than that of more mainstream political tendencies. Well, well, there you go. Well, there you fucking go. We have to get all the way to the end of the article. The left wants Ukraine in the best of all worlds to be its own nation that can control some of its own destiny, you know, rea reality permitting. Uh, meanwhile, the forces actually in power want Ukraine to be this thing that you stick IMF money into and that your son can take it out of or your friend, or whoever, whoever it is, whether you are a Democrat or Republican, whether you're Brandon or you're, uh, what, what did he call Trump? Uh, President Trunt. <laughs> or President Trunt, or, or, or Hillary's son-in-law, you know, getting all those insights. Hillary's son-in-law got all this inside info for Ukraine for his hedge fund and lost and money, by the way. <laughs> could, Do you remember that? By, by going uh, long Chelsea, on Greece. Yeah, good Chelsea work, dude. knows how to pick them, man. Yeah. And by the way, as long as we're talking about um, just taking money out of the Ukraine, God, remember Hunter Biden's natural gas job, his natural he, no, gas no, consulting he, he, job? That's not patronage, okay? He found that job on Indeed. He knows, look, he smokes crack, but he knows a lot about your Ukrainian uh, natural gas markets. That was, I, I want to say that I love the Bidens because it's they are they're in the fold of like Clintons and all these evil families, but they they always fuck up. They all like Joe gets to be president, but in a time where he's only living in his own memories after he's gone hollow. Hunter gets like the patronage job that like every like Clinton relative and friend gets any one of these fucking families, Chris Dodd's families, but like fucks up so bad everyone sees his dick somehow as a result of it. <laughs> everyone sees the memes that he made on his computer, on his imager account of his dad saying the N word. <laughs> like he's just but like, they, they, they're, they're like just a regular Delaware family made good. Yeah. You know, I love them. I, mean, I love I, them. I'll admit, I love the Brandons. <laughs> and uh, Matt, say the thing about, uh, the way that you phrase the thing about Hunter's kid. Oh yeah. Uh, somebody pointed this out is that he knocked up a stripper, right? So that means that there's a woman out there whose mom is a stripper and whose grandfather is the president. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, like, I mean, good for her. Um, I hope she's getting some of that Biden money. Though. Absolutely. She's good for natural gas money. She's off that gas. Like, she should get the, the, the special jewel that the Chinese. Gave yeah. Um, I, like, I, 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 just still on the Bidens. Bo Biden is like another Bo, Bo Jackson. He was going to take that family yeah. into like D1 evil families. Yeah. He had it all. He like he got that DuPont off on that disgusting case. Oh, yeah. God. He yeah. had it all. But in perfect Biden fashion, he goes into a war that his dad voted for. And later when you ask him about it, he's like, oh, I got tricked. <laughs> um, 
And instead of getting like the plum assignment that even Pete Buttigieg got, he's next to the burn pits. Yeah. And that's probably where he gets the brain cancer that kills him. Yeah. Amazing. Like no one can fuck it up like the Bidens. Yeah. Amazing family. Yeah. How do you do that? And like speaking of like uh, the just like eaters. The, the fact that uh, like the UAE and Saudi Arabia are not even picking up our calls about oil prices at, while we continue to sell them weapons and of like course. and not, not not just look the other way while they do a genocide in Yemen, but like actively, actively refuel their fucking it. jets after yeah. they triple tap a wedding party. Yeah. I think you got to think like Ukraine must feel a little bit of the way we do now in that they've been giving these fucking make work jobs to every fucking like every crack addicted fucking cocaine addled son of and like and polit- political fail kid of the American ruling political class for years. Yeah. Just all expecting that like when it comes time, we're really going to have their back. We're going to let them join NATO. And I think like this is the fucked up thing about this is because like even if you believe that like the NATO expansion is good or that like or U- Ukraine should be in like the European or Western sphere of influence, it's just like what are we talking about again? Like we gassed these poor fucks up with when we had never not even the most hawkish person had any intention ever of allowing Ukraine into NATO. Yeah, we just no. wanted to ship them a ton of weapons and like create this sort of buffer zone. Where, yeah, like this horrific conflict could be waged out yeah. um, between Russia and Europe. And our dipshit kids could uh, huddle and just get, just literally siphon off the national gas pipelines running through the country. Yeah. I mean, what does that tell you, though, about like all, all this like chastising? Is that like nobody on the other side of this argument seriously ever considered allowing Ukraine into NATO? Ever. I will go back to what I said in fucking January, where, you know, I don't think this war will happen. I hope it doesn't, but it is horrifically tragic for me to think about 18 year old and 19 year old Russians and Ukrainians dying for either of these fucking places but especially Ukraine after it has been just a playground for the worst fucking Americans gassed up into fighting our war for us that we want that we publicly all the time say we're not yeah you can't join NATO we're not putting troops in it's horrific and you you're just we won't see any condemnation about this for another 10 years, maybe it will be like Libya where you get a brief acknowledgement. Then we go on with business as usual. And now these and now you got the Levitzes of the world uh, deciding actually the Ukrainians are epically owning Russia completely and they're winning the war and they're going to win on the battlefield, which I'm sorry. That's just a, that's no. a fantasy. That's what you want yeah. to tell yourself so that continuing to fucking stoke the flames of conflict uh, is a moral good because it's going to lead to a better outcome and more freedom. The freedom index is going to go up. It's like, no, the country's just going to keep getting fucking reduced to fucking rubble. And in the day that it does stop, which I really fucking hope is as soon as possible, as it rebuilds, the worst people in that country are going to be all the more more powerful. Well, I mean, thanks thanks in part to us, thanks in part to Russia, thanks in part to the worst forces in both countries. But that is the reality. Also, considering that, like I said, they just literally banned, like, all the left-wing political parties in Ukraine from being in the government. I mean, yeah, the... So it's martial law, baby. What are you gonna do? It's 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 uh, Sammo Hung's and the martial law. <laughs> um, so show? yeah, running up the essay, you know, once again, I'd like to restate it on questions of refugee resettlement and debt forgiveness. Meanwhile, the left solidarity with Ukraine is more robust than that of more mainstream political tendencies. Nevertheless. Some of the most prominent left-wing writers and organizations in America have proven too ideologically rigid to see the conflict through clear eyes. Not, not, not like me. Not like <laughs> precious little Eric Levitz, who has all of these uh, ma- real material interests that align with uh, holding the, the, the uh, consensus line on this thing. 
but have no impact on the clarity of his vision. Clear eyes realize clear lies. I, lo- <laughs> I loved Eric's song on the final cut, Behind Clear Eyes. <laughs> Uh, their arguments have been less offensive for their substantive content than their intellectual carelessness. So, like, I mean, like, this is what he's talking about. Like, because he he goes to this whole article and he says over and again, over and over again. Well, like, substantively, like, much of what, like, even a position I'm, I like, I'm, seem to be characterizing, um, is actually like uh, quite right. But it's their intellectual rigidity and carelessness that's what really bothers me. That that's what compels me to write this article that does not need to exist. That has nothing. Well, okay, what if they fucking dragged Noam Chomsky's old ass out and had him say on a YouTube thing, I was wrong the whole time, actually, about uh, you know criticizing your own country and all that stuff. Uh, Slavage, glory to the heroes or whatever the fuck. What would that change about anything? What would what what would be different in the slightest about anything happening? Now? I think they could notch a little victory in the in the, in the posting war. Yes, they could notch a little victory about like you know like yeah like the, they the, could the, feel the like they have a power of, uh, of disciplinary yeah. uh, a disciplinary power. Which, yeah, look, that's, that's another this is. selling that's point. This is. Look, I can keep these hogs in line. Please uh, put me another rung up under the trough. Arguments have been less offensive for their substantive content, which Eric has just outlined was like you know more or less correct, but. Their intellectual carelessness. Obvious counterarguments go unaddressed. Apparent contradictions unexplained. Falsified predictions unaccounted for. Oh, man. <laughs> well, we went into the argument haunted house. All these things are terrifying. Bring, 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 in, this, bring in this jumbo jet in for a landing here. So let's go. Uh, this apparent aversion to acknowledging complexity and moral ambiguity should trouble anyone invested in the left's political project. Pro- po- you policy know, policy <laughs> proposals are generally relatively binary. What the... F- why is this obligation that you have to have acknowledged every possible shade in what is like a supposed to be political speech when that is never expected out of anyone else because it's impractical? It's ridiculous. You know, you say that, but honestly, until we can acknowledge complexity and moral ambiguity, I have serious doubts about the left political project. In America. I know they better get they better if if only they could get some of that complexity and ambiguity in there. I think they have a shot. That's why the right wing has been so powerful in the last six years. <laughs> Just really complex and ambiguous. They really embrace. And the thing is, they embrace and, and acknowledge the complexity and ambiguity at all times. Yeah, guys, if we can look at successful political projects in America for the last decade, look at what works. Kicking out the cranks, holding them accountable in front of everyone. Yep. Socialists forfeit all hope of persuading anyone outside their esoteric circles if they call for choking off military aid to Ukraine and demanding demand a mutually agreeable diplomatic resolution to the conflict without, one, addressing the obvious objection that Ukraine can only hope to secure such a settlement through force of arms, two, offering an evidence-based theory for how Russia can be persuaded to respect Ukraine's territorial integrity through sheer diplomacy, or three, explaining why the left... Why the left would oppose sending arms to a democratic government struggling against domination by a far-right autocracy, given its historic support for arming the Second Spanish Republic and the Sandinista government. The American left can't begin to fulfill its vision for change without dramatically expanding its ranks. Associating itself with undercooked defenses of toxically unpopular positions on the world's most salient geopolitical crisis seems like a poor way of going about that task. Well, I mean, obviously it's correct that they need to... uh get more numbers duh but the idea that's what preventing the left from gaining popular uh currency and and like numbers is is their lack of seriousness on ukraine policy is something you can only believe if you are completely up your own ass yeah i think you if you actually had i mean if if we had a like a politically uh engaged population 
that could be, you know, engaged realistically from a few, you know, relative commanding heights of, uh, of uh, media that were consistently putting out a uh, left wing perspective. I think the idea of uh, this isn't your problem. You shouldn't have to pay $10 a gallon gas for this would probably go over pretty fucking well. Yeah, but vote. only not if you're talking about serious people. But guess what? Serious people are never going to fucking care about the, do your leftist shit because they're against it. They are they are their interests are in opposition to it. The failure of the Bernie 2020 campaign. I hope everyone or most people saw the same thing that we did, which is that the way that Bernie could have succeeded was by activating a critical mass of non-voters. And the states where he won, where he did very well, he did that, or he came close to it. Where he fell short, he failed to do that. When someone is a non-voter, but otherwise amenable to these types of policies, I do not think it's a lack of seriousness in Ukraine policy. <laughs> if you think that, if you think that uh, the fucking woman cleaning up hotel rooms, the, the, the guy bussing tables, the, the people who have never voted, that you want to vote, if you think they did not vote for Bernie because they're like, ah, he's like kind of ambiguous on like uh, on Slava Ukraini, um, <laughs> you are you are an article addict. <laughs> you are so addicted to articles, it's insane. Yeah, you need to go to a twelve step program. You yeah, need to and, and you need to go to of articles immediately. Yeah, yeah you like, need to go to article inpatient. Yeah, like and you know, like like Eric, you want to talk about like like yeah, like we said, like like the, the problem of left wing in this country is it does seem cloistered in esoteric circles. There is no more esoteric circle than that of foreign policy, yeah, right. uh, the sensible foreign policy wonks yeah. and, and, and good, sensible liberal thinkers in America. Yeah. That circle is even smaller than the fucking DSA circle. Yeah. If the left was in power and affected foreign policy, but that only foreign policy was just like a sort of vulgar non-interventionism, at least a million more people would be alive today. Yes, but even if it wasn't consistent and uh, nuanced. Uh, the, yeah, no, so it goes here. Uh, of course, the hazards of ideological inflexibility aren't merely reputational. The American left inherited many of its present verities from the Cold War era and the ensuing period of U.S. global hegemony. But the tradition of all dead generations weighs like a nightmare on oh, the brains the of the living. <laughs> incisive analysis of a, incisive analysis of the emerging nerd. multipolar order and the challenges it presents to egalitarian change will require nimble thinking. Nimble so, succumbing thinking. to dogmatism will not only undermine the left's capacity to win power, but also its fitness for wielding it. You know, the way he's talking about this, like, oh, it's all this ideological rigidity. I mean, another word for that is principles, you know, like actual, yeah. like sustained principles. And he's basically saying, like, look, it's all fine and dandy to believe a thing in abstract, but you know when when uh, a foreign policy emergency happens and it's all hands on deck and it's all anyone's talking about and it's number one priority, uh, you know, amongst the media class. Well, then all of a sudden, your precious little ideolo ideological priors and and principles uh, they have to be adjusting. You have to adjust to the new reality that there's a war on and you need to pick a side. Yeah, show you're serious by changing your mind the second someone yells at you. Yes, yeah. You know, like our, our friend Dan said this the other day, but it's just like, I mean, this is the same as it ever was, the same as it ever will be. And it's just like, you know, the left opposed the war in Iraq uh, when that happened. And did, 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 did that help their electoral yeah. chances yeah. by being by having adopting the morally and analytically correct position on the war in Iraq? No, yeah. it did not. And the idea now is like, it's not even a matter of, like, of, of like, you know, actively opposing Ukraine or like rooting for Russia. Just a matter of like just simply not taking sides in this is not good enough for no. them. 
You've got, you've got, to, you've got to, you have to be sensible. You have to be nimble. You have to be morally ambiguous. You have to be you a to be smart a, little like, smart like boy. Like a Graham Greene character or and something. Like, and if, if the fact that that nimbleness uh, is rewarded by the Moloch demon state that we all uh, 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 agree is what the United States is, well, that's just a coincidence. And yeah, like I, I will cop to a certain amount of ideological rigidity that, you know, did prevent me from thinking it was likely that Russia would invade uh, Ukraine as fully as it did. Sure. But like I will Q2, I will, I'm not, I'm not going to get more limber on this because anytime the U.S. fucking State Department or fucking like just the, the mandarins of foreign policy in this country, every time they're counseling for this country to adopt a course of action in any regard, it is never, ever going to be the benefit of the flourishing of human life on this yeah, planet. Right. I do not believe them for a second. I do not believe that their, their priors or ideological uh, commitments are, render them capable of uh, 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 judging or acting in the world in a, po- a positive way. And I'd say that for myself, my failure to, to see that uh, Putin was going to invade is, I think, of a piece with my failure to really uh, uh, absorb that Trump was going to win in 2016. And it, it was both of those, I think, looking back, are for the same reason that I did not think that we were there yet. You know, like th- these things are all possibilities until they occur. And some part of you wants to put off the reckoning. But what we're seeing in the last decade certainly is that uh, everything that, you know, uh, that, that people kind of mused about in terms of what, what, what crisis would stand for in, in the 21st century uh, are having to come to terms with the fact that the timetable is much, much shorter than the, that they wanted it to be. <laughs> but that doesn't change the, the analysis I mean, I, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I mean, like, I think what, what Levitz is really going for here as he auditions for, like, you know, the, the Jonathan Chait chair at yeah. New York Magazine is this idea that, like, yeah, they all took it on the chin because of Iraq. Mm-hmm. And what they really want, the, the ideological, uh, uh, you know, limberness that they're going for here is this sweet spot of just being like, yes, America has done some very evil things in very recent memory. But Russia is actually more evil than the United mm-hmm. States. Yeah. And what we're, like, what we're seeing, what they're doing to Maripol right now, or like they're bombing hospitals full of people, like shouldn't that be proof positive enough that there are still countries more evil than yeah. the United States? Give us a break, come on. And I'm saying, no, yeah, sorry. No, no. Like at, at, the, at the very best, I'm willing to say that we are about as evil as Russia is, but the only problem is we're a lot more powerful. Well, than that's they are. the thing is that like every government is 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 pretty much equally evil in that uh, all of the incentive structures and and power structures pull the worst people into positions of power and and kind of cannot allow anyone else to hold power. Uh, the only real differentiation is the degree to which they can uh, assert power over others, and that's where the actual like execution of evil does. And since we're the most powerful country, by definition, we're the most evil. Sorry. And they just, they don't want to give up the ghost on like, you know, like the nineties era of like, of, of America, like post cold war having to have a reason for why we're still a military hegemonic power. And that is humanitarian intervention. They still don't really want to give up the ghost on that because they don't want to protect baby. They don't want to give up. I mean, even if you believe that like, it's it's horrible that like, you know, uh, genocides and abuses against civilian policy populations occur. They don't, they can't give up the ghost on this idea that like, well, America, we always mean well, (laughs) you know, like it's just like, we, we just, we can still do some good in this yeah. world, but the power but all that the we bad have. that we're supposed to be uh, fighting, that we're morally obligated to fight, is all in the context of a global order that we enforce. Yeah, no. People say they hate Subway. You made the sandwich. 
All right, let's uh, let's leave it let's leave it leave it there for yeah. today. All right, Houston, we'll see you tomorrow night. Pew pew. See ya. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. All right, Matt, I'm going to go to the Cavendish Boot Store. It's about a 15 minute ride from here. My brother in Christ, please come with me and buy a pair of pants. Okay. I dearly love to be But all my exes live in Texas And that's why